the easy thing to do right now is to is to be angry about it and to be negative about it yell at everybody and to take that anger and aggression out on people you know that's a little bit of an easy thing to do the hard thing to do is to be positive not to necessarily even be positive but to try to try to build something up what up what up what up y'all thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of the just f and go podcast with me sam jimenez and charlie herrera villar we are on episode six this week happy week to you all before we really get started i just want y'all to go ahead and click subscribe like share um of the podcast on all platforms spotify apple podcast stitcher youtube follow us on instagram at just f and go podcast um and stay tuned in with us we got a pretty solid week of topics coming up today um a lot of things obviously i mean as the world goes things happen uh but also we wanted to have a little bit of a personal conversation with y'all about our kind of history in our industries but also the things we do within the industry to build ourselves up and to build others up. Uh, it's been a, a beautiful week for me. Charlie, how you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. Chilling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now awesome. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, as you know, I mean, we, we, we pretty much talk throughout the week uh, between the three of us, myself, Charlie, and uh, Mikey, who is uh, the constant hidden man off the camera. Um, but this week had a, a few funny things happen, which we'll kind of get to. But one of the things we kind of had talked about this week is a lot of, as the Black Lives Matter movement continues, um, and there's been a lot of activity, you know, on the positive side, on the negative side as well, with just a backlash against the movement. Um, there have been some incidents over the past couple weeks uh, with the defacing of a lot of like Black Lives Matter murals. Um, the one that caught a lot of attention this week was an incident in Spokane, Washington, with uh, the Black Lives Matter mural being defaced um, with the colors of the American flag, the red, white, and blue. Um, and in incidences like these, we, we've seen it not just in Spokane, Washington, but with, you know, in the Bay Area even. Uh, I think there was a situation in like Mill Valley with a Black Lives Matter mural being defaced with uh, a white couple painting, painting over um, with black paint. You know, it's, it's, it's always interesting to look at these things and see the backlash that people get just from the desire to highlight uh, police brutality. And the fact that black lives are targeted in this country um, at a rate by police that's higher than, you know, other ethnicities and other races. Um, Charlie, do you have general feelings on, you know, the incident in Washington or just even, you know, we talked about the co-opting and hijacking of the U.S. flag and those colors and how people use it to signify something different than what it means to other people, right? Yeah, man. Um the hijacking of the flag has been a, a tough one for me. Um, you know, I was born in Mexico, so I'm I'm an immigrant here, a citizen. And when uh, growing up, I've always wanted to become part of the community, feel like a part of this country. And I've succeeded at that. I feel like I am definitely a part of the country. And there's still things where sometimes um, 
I don't know, you do things to, to try to really solidify yourself. And I started doing the Fire Academy back in 2014. And I had a whole nother freaking type of love, right? Like you just kind of feel like, yes, I'm establishing myself. I'm getting in here. The American flag was always on the background. You know, you felt like a part of it. As I worked at a restaurant and I started seeing them really use the flag um, as a marketing tool, as a way to promote people to come in, um, you know, for veterans and this and that. And I think I think there's really nothing wrong to promote your business to get people to come in. But I do think there is something wrong where you're now using the symbol of your country as a way to make more money uh, as bait. And that was the first issue I had with it. And then I started seeing more of a hijacking of the flag starting to mean something else. You know, there are certain groups out there that are, are using the flag as symbolism for, to me, what I'm getting out of it is white supremacy. And it's not inclusion of other other ethnic groups that have built this country, that are part of this country, and that will continue forever to be a part of this country. Um, so a part of me sometimes feels like when I see the flag, I'm like, oh, that's a threat to me. You know, it's it's talking about me specifically because I'm an immigrant, but it's also uh, because I'm not white and uh, I don't I don't know how to react to it, you know, because I will take a knee uh, or I will stand against those oppressors. But at the same time, it's like I don't have a, you know, like they said, the, 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 the taking of the knee on the national anthem had nothing to do with the flag. It had to do with police brutality. But all those mixed uh, signals come from hijacking of the flag, making it symbolize something else. And I'm, I'm tired of that shit. I want to be able to uh, rep this flag for what it is, for what I want it to be, and for what we want the future to stand of what being American means. No, I 100% agree. <clears throat> you know, I think similar to your story, just watching my, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, watching my own father go through his, you know, um, journey as an immigrant to becoming a citizen of the United States. And, you know, even as myself being a person that's kind of always been like anti-establishment, um, very much like fight the power growing up that way. Right. And I think rage against the machine was huge influence on me and Zach De La Rocha. I came to realize that, <clears throat> um, I've come to realize over the past few years, you know, that my father did come here. My, my both of my parents really, both of my parents came here to build a better future for their children because that opportunity does uh, exist here in a lot of ways compared to other places, right? Um, and it's important for me now to recognize the sacrifices that they made <clears throat> and the pride that they take now in being American, despite, in spite of what, you know, that may mean to me having grown up here and, um, going through experiences with uh the systems and uh that do work for the oppression of black and brown people um and not just black and brown people but even from a socioeconomic standpoint you know poor white folks as well um <clears throat> i think you know it means something different to my parents and it means to me when i when i see it uh, and if we're talking about like nuanced conversations in this, I think it's important to recognize that there exists this, the, these nuances within this conversation. Um, so when I see things like 
people thinking that Black Lives Matter is anti-American because they view it as anti-white, that they view the flag as representing whiteness, right? I think there are a lot of people that view it that way. To me, it's, to me, it's heartbreaking in a lot of ways because just like you said, there, there are immigrants that came here and, and built this country. This country was founded by immigrants, right? Um, and call it what it is, like those immigrants murdered the, the native people of this land. So there's that history to it too, right? And I understand for native people and indigenous people to this land how they would view the, the American flag as something completely different than, you know, other people as well. So I think like the conversation, the American flag and the, those colors mean different things to different people. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's a conversation that we continuously have to have. In terms of Black Lives Matter mural being defaced and it's happening not just with murals, but also with a, a lot of the kind of street graphics that we're seeing in different cities. You know, the question that I often have for people is what about this? What about these words is offensive to you, you know? I understand people's stance and, like, Black Lives Matter is, you know, a violent group. Like, I, I get that if you think that. I don't, I don't think that, and, and it's, I know that's not what the movement is founded on. But I think real conversations need to be had. You know, it's something we kind of talked about this week in terms of the negative loops that we catch ourselves in, that our society um, props up and that we all catch ourselves in in terms of on all sides of this conversation right now there's a negativity loop right there's negative feelings about everything and we all not we all but a lot of us feed into that and a lot of our society feeds into the negativity loop where it's like the left hates the right and the right hates the left and the people in the middle hate both sides and everybody just wants to tear stuff down um, and not allow it to exist as a thought in itself to be a positive thought for somebody else and not, and as individuals just to understand that it, it's, it means something to them and allow it to mean something to them and for us to have our own thoughts on it, um, but to build each other up instead of tearing everything down. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, um, I think... There's people out there that aren't ready to realize that they're racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not. They're too scared to have that conversation with themselves to really uh, analyze that. Oh, shit, I'm racist. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I I saw that one Giants player talk about uh, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement that he didn't want to stand or he didn't want to kneel because, you know, one, he only kneels for God, two, or Jesus. Uh, to uh, family values, and then they're lean Marxists, right? So the fucking the truth is, bro, you are <laughs> you are not having a conversation with yourself because you will put out every stop, every excuse possible to say, "I don't see black people worth fighting for. I don't see the value in and the struggle that is going on with them." And um, until we actually sit down and and just kind of analyze what we're doing and analyze what our feelings are we're not going to move we're not that we're not going to move forward we're going to move forward you're just going to get left behind bro and you're just not going to know or you're just just going to miss the bus 
whatever my mom says certain random <laughs> so my mom will say certain things that are yeah. uh, <clears throat> almost a thing but not it. anyway um yeah i don't really have an excuse for him i really don't know too much on what to say for for people that just still don't still don't get it you know I guess I don't want to have patience. I don't want to have patience for them. I guess we're supposed to have patience. Um, but I don't think anybody wants to re- recognize that they are racist and that they have to do some soul searching and some things to um, to either identify that or get out of that. And, you know, like you were saying, there's poor white Americans out there that probably don't feel valued. I get that, you know, because uh, this isn't it's not just a race war or a race issue it is also a class issue that is happening and it so happens to me that the powers that be or the powers that have a lot of the money uh will turn people against each other in order to continue to get more of the money you know so we need to have more conversations yeah 100 percent. i think you know as the giants player that you were talking about sam coonrod um you know is is the there's a guy who refused to kneel um, when all other players kneeled um, in support of Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, as he said, I just can't, he said to quote, I just can't get on board with a couple of things I've read about Black Lives Matter, how they lean towards Marxism. And they have said some negative things about the nuclear family. I just can't get on board with that. Um, and he talks about like his belief in God and he'll only kneel for God. And definitely like it's all a cop out to me. Like it's all a cop out, and you're using, you're using your religion as a cop out to as to why. As a cop out for why you don't want to do the work to understand what these people feel and how they feel and what they're going through, right? Um, I also think you're completely correct about like class. You know, poor white folks in this country are not necessarily marginalized and oppressed in the same way that you know, poor black people in this country, maybe, or like any black people in this country, maybe, but there are still systems that work against them. And the thing about the people in power is that they're good at, you know, dividing us up into, into identities to where poor white people don't see that. Like, right. Rural America is a different experience than the inner city in America. Um, and, it's easy for the people in power to divide and conquer in the way of like, you're white, you're with us. You know, these black and brown people are angry black and brown people in the city. Um, and they don't care about your issues in rural America. And that's how Trump won the election. Let's be honest here. Like Trump won the election by appealing to, um, you know, the rural America and middle America and those white voters who were frustrated about a lot of the system and a lot of the politicians who haven't gone to bat for them, right? And there was an opportunity there to divide the country by color, and it and it's continued to happen. Um, and it's to me, it's 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 something that can be fixed. But in order for it to be fixed, we all have to be very clear and transparent about what our issues are. Um, and come to an understanding that like we all have different issues and we all have different perspectives, but we have to have the conversations. Right now, conversations are being avoided, and people are just angry. And I understand people's anger. It's, I don't. I don't fault people for being angry, but at the end of the day, like 
you in order to build something beautiful, you have to move past fear and you have to move past anger. Well, uh, a good friend of mine told me, you know, like anything that you want in life is on the other side of fear, right? You have to push past the fear of even having a conversation with somebody who may not have the same perspective as you and, you know, get past the fear of like, this person's going to hate me because I don't believe the same thing and just come to an understanding of each other's situation. You know, as you talked about Sam Coonrod um, and his refusal to kneel uh, for Black Lives Matter, you know, it brings up an important thing of just, you know, the return to play for American sports. The NBA and MLB recently returned to play. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people have different complex feelings on it. And it's also interesting to see the differences in, in their approach from the MLB to the NBA, right? The NBA being a uh, much more like um, it's a very black league, you know, put it straight. You know, the majority of players that are in the NBA are black. So the way that they're going to um, react to these social circuit or these social issues is very different than the MLB, which is a league that is, I'm not going to 100% say majority white. I think it is predominantly. I don't know if like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think if that's actually a fact, I know there's a lot of Latino, uh, yeah, Latino players. So I don't know what the numbers actually break down to, but you see differences. Um, and I think that's interesting to see. Uh, I don't want to move forward talking too much on if you have some uh, things to chip in on that um, before we really start talking about sports. Sports on uh, back on the other topic on the yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I agree with you on what you were saying. I think that Trump won his election based on uh, blaming, um, I guess the hardships that lower or poor Americans are going through by separating them through color. And I think, you know, you're, he was able to tap into this. I don't want to say it was a dormant thing because racism has been there and it's always been there. But I think for a while people were realizing that it was a, a economical issue that was happening, a class issue that was happening. And then he was able to reignite this belief that, uh, you, you know, that it's because of people of color um, and that I guess maybe white people are entitled to everything they want, right? Uh, but what I'm hopeful for is that, and unfortunately, uh, because of this pandemic and the way that he's not handled it correctly, um, that people are kind of realizing that being white isn't going to save you when it comes to uh, health, right? Like, you're going to probably have a little bit of a better health care because, I don't know, I mean, shit, I haven't done the, the studies on this, but I'm not sure how many doctors have racial biases when they're performing. I'm pretty sure it exists. But for the most part, being poor, not having affordable health care is going to kill you in America. And, I, and I'm thinking right now there's going to be a lot of people, I think, some of the pandemic, uh, the hardest hitting spots have been in predominantly um, high diversity areas because of you know the the magnitude of people that are in that that area. But now it's kind of starting to go to the Midwest, and so now it's going to affect a lot of white America. And um, I think people are going to start realizing that it's it has nothing to do with um, black people 
uh, or Latinx or immigrants of any kind stealing your jobs or stealing this and that. I mean, it's really just the fact that there are some people playing you based on color to try to take your money, you know? Yeah, I think it's a... And your you vote. Know, I, I think we're in a moment right now where it's going to be interesting to see the the um the reaction to certain things that have happened in the past week from the Trump base, from the uh Republican base that rides hard for Trump, right? Yeah. I will say one thing, you know, like Trump say what you will, man, but that dude has some riders on his side. These <laughs> fools are riding for Trump in a way that like damn near nobody's ever rode for a president before, you know? It's yeah. not even like I think, you know, like the reality is uh Trump is a first president to ever continue campaigning even though he was president right like no other president before continued to hold rallies after they were already elected and trump continued to hold rallies for his four years in office um what i will say is you know there have been some events in the past few in the past week that have really affected it and we don't have to go too deep into it herman cain uh was a, a you know a major trump supporter a, a black trump supporter who did come out and uh made tweets about like people are tired of wearing masks and he passed away this week um after um coming down with covid during the tulsa uh trump campaign um you know so i think that in is, is an event that you know we'll see how the trump base reacts to it the other thing is you know numbers came out this week that there's a 33% drop in uh the gdp gross domestic product in america you know and one thing that Trump supporters have constantly said and defended Trump on is that Trump was good for the economy. But this is the biggest drop in GDP in the history of America, right? When there was a 15% drop in GDP and gross domestic product, uh, we labeled it the Great Depression, right? When there's a 1% drop in GDP, that is just uh, labeled a recession. So for there to be a 33% drop, double the amount of uh of percentage as like the great depression, you know, that says something about what Trump really meant to the economy in a time with the pandemic that was going to impact America in a way that nobody really understood. Um, but Trump as a leader of this country had a job to do. And, you know, my opinion is that he didn't do the job of protecting America from a health standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. Because we're one of the few countries right now that is really still heavily dealing with um, this COVID-19 coronavirus uh, impact. Um, not to say that other people aren't dealing with it, but there are a lot of countries that have kind of, uh, um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, lessen that impact. Uh, yeah. So I think it'll be important. I don't want to get too deep into like the GDP and Herman Cain, but I think it'll be interesting because those are two major events um, within the Trump base right now and like the way that they have defended him. I think it'll be interesting to see how the base reacts to those two things and what comes out of it. Uh, yeah, I think the um, two things on that. One, the base. Um I see it as a struggle, right? I try to be empathetic to to try to put myself on what are they thinking right now, right? And I hear, you know, a lot of Trump supporters are so anti anybody who's anti-Trump, right? So if you start having all this rhetoric against uh, people that are against Trump and you label them 
you know, snowflakes or you label them, whatever you want to label them. Once his tactics come to light where they start affecting you and you are now being oppressed by the way that he's handling shit, right? Because now the health affects you. Now jobs are being cut. So your job is being cut. Um, now any kind of any kind of welfare for the societies that need it or the social groups that need it uh, being taken away or whatever. And him, him saying that don't worry about low-income housing uh, available in suburban areas or anything else like that. Now that's affecting you. And if you have been a Trump supporter and all of a sudden you're affected by that, it's going to be kind of hard to be anti-Trump because now you fit all the shit that you were saying you fit all those labels that you were spewing out to people so now it might even be a pride thing now you're like fuck i gotta ride for this dude because now i'm a snowflake now i'm this thing you know what i mean that's on that on the gdp i mean shit what did we expect right you have (laughs) you have a pandemic happening right now um a lot of our shit was being imported from from china or from overseas any other country um we're not investing in our infrastructure here as much uh we don't pay our workers very well and there's a big prison industrial complex that creates a lot of labor and a lot of products for companies like target um what else verizon sprint you know walmart a whole bunch of other companies and when you're losing your slave labor because prisons have to vacate prisoners uh, because of the, the fear of COVID getting to them, well, then you're going to lose a little bit of productivity in that. So, in a way, fuck the GDP. Like, I mean, this is kind of what, like, you know, it's coming to an understanding that, yeah, one, people here are not being taken care of. There's slave labor happening in prisons. Um, and we are not investing in our own country. So, how do you fix that? Support local business. Uh, create livable wages for people and stop this prison industrial complex, you know, start really actually helping people out and actually making your country great. Let's start doing that a little bit, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 100%. Um, I think, I think it's interesting to, from an economic standpoint, you know, there are hundreds of different opinions on how to, you know, fix the issues that are going on right now. And, you know, I'm not going to claim to know enough about, you know, economics to have the complete answers for it. But I do think you bring up some strong points. Um, And, you know, I think right now what we're realizing in general with the economy and like the quote unquote American dream is that the quote, like it's, it's been propped up by the working man, been propped up by being able to take advantage of um, workers at low wages um, to create productivity and ultimately to create profitability for major corporations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what we're seeing now is that like that system is, is is flawed. It's flawed in a way that's like it looks great when it looks great when it looks great, but if something major happens, you know everything can go to shit quick. Right. And we're seeing that right now. You know, right. so many companies have shut down. We're losing like the whole food and beverage industry, the restaurant hospitality industry is suffering. The retail industry is suffering. There's gonna be something that comes out of it, right? And I think we'll get into that conversation a little bit later, but 
you know, one thing that's coming out of it right now is that you're seeing major corporations thrive still. Mm-hmm. And those major corporations are the Amazons of the world, the Googles of the world. You know, um, these corporations aren't, aren't hurt. For sure. Yeah. They're not hurting. Right. If anything, they're they're Making continuing money. to. Yeah, they're continuing to build. Um, and so, like, it, it definitely does say something about the economy um, and what the American economy is built on. Yeah. Um, as I learn more about capitalism, I'm sorry, Sam, for interrupting. No, you're as I, good. As I learn more about ca- capitalism, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can go to encyclopedia.com for free access to encyclopedia knowledge. Um, I recommend going for uh, anything. Go, go learn something. Uh, but as I learn more about capitalism and I see the differences between the way capitalism is handled in Japan and in Germany, uh, I can see why they're handling the pandemic in a better way than we are. And I could see that if we incorporated some of the values that they have, whether it's uh, helping out um, in social welfare for people or um, family and all that, like, dude, the restaurant industry here, this is my cat, the restaurant industry here would, re- I mean, our whole economy would recover a lot more. If we just had enough to let people stay home for a couple of months you know, without having to worry about how do we provide for rent? How do we provide for food? I, I, you know, I'm obviously I'm simplifying this a lot more. I'm not running the country uh, and I can never run the country because I'm an immigrant, but it would be, it would be good to start taking notes from other places where it's successful. And for us as Americans to stop having so much pride on thinking that we are the best and just learn a little bit, we can be the best. We can take the best out of us, but we have to kind of just, just absorb, just listen. Damn it. One hundred percent. I think an uh, an important thing to note there is that one thing that America may continue to win on and always win on, and may feel like we're the best and may put that idea into people's heads is is culture. From a cultural standpoint, America is still at the top of the world, right? Everybody looks to America and at America as like the cultural Mecca of the world as like the place where, you know, from a pop culture standpoint, everybody gets their game from America. That's not like, there's no two ways around it. We may not be at the top of education. We may not be at the top of, um, you know, GDP at this point. We may not, uh, be at, we may not be at the top of a lot of things, but, from a cultural standpoint, you know, people still look at America as like, you know, I want to be like those Americans. Um, and I say that in the sense of like fashion, music, um, art, you know, so much of that American culture influences the rest of the world in a major way. Um, and that's, I think that also says something about just like our priorities in this, in this country and what, you know, we view as like, being the best and being in power, um, you know, and sports has a lot to do with that. Sports has a, 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 a major, uh, plays a major part in that. And I think that's a big reason why, you know, these sports leagues in America as a whole has been dying to get back to that, right? Because a lot of the major influences in this country for the people of this country, and not just for this country, but around the world, are our athletes the people that we prop up in those positions right and i think that there's there's a 
there is right and wrong with that, right? I think like we talked about uh, last week, you know, the, the, the hard part is like we prop up celebrity culture and we prop up um, people to be that people that we look to for answers. Um, that's a little bit negative, right? Um, but the positive part is that right now in this country, and I, I think it's a positive with the NBA coming back, that these athletes are now have gotten informed in ways because of like the, the, the lockdown of this country um, and the things that have gone on during the shelter in place. I think a lot of them are really, their, their desire is to fight for equity and to, and to fight for social justice for um, black people in this country, to fight for, you know, the end of police brutality and the over-policing of black and brown communities. Um, so I think that's a, a super positive thing for them to use their cultural, uh, cultural standing in this country and to use their platform as this way to impact change in a real way. Um, you know, I think that's a huge positive about sports coming back. You know, the, 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 the negative um, is the distraction of it all, right? And I think it's on the players now at this point to, to put it on them and be like, all right, if we don't want to be a distraction, we have to continue to put it at the forefront. And I think a lot of them are doing so, especially in the NBA. The MLB, um, as we just talked about, you know, it's uh, there are differing opinions, which is fine. Differing opinions are fine, but I think it's uh, important to put those at the forefront. Can you have conversations about those differing opinions? Yeah, man, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, one, yeah, the distraction was what I was worried about. But I think the NBA has been, and it's only been one official game, right? Um, so I don't, well, actually, I don't even know if it's one official game. It's just one. Two game official games. Two official Jazz games. and Pelic- Jazz yes. and Pelicans played last uh-huh. night. The Lakers, Lakers and Clippers, Clippers paid. Uh, um, yeah. But I think obviously they put the focus back on like, yo, we're gonna play, but you're gonna be reading my jersey. You're gonna be reading the floor. You're gonna just know what we're still trying to support. Um, and I think it's pretty interesting to see the progressiveness of of the NBA, right? It's kind of it's kind of interesting to me because of how they bubbled them. And obviously it's a smaller venue in the NBA and everything, but you created a bubble town, a bubble barbershop, which I'm super jealous of. Um, <laughs> uh, and then you have the MLB who you have, what is it, Florida Marlins? Freaking Florida. Yeah. And how they spread COVID to the Phillies and it's it's a disaster, but it is kind of really it's it's I I enjoy seeing how two different industries have handled it, and I really like the way that NBA has handled it. Even though it's still early on, we don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. it's pretty progressive, and it gives me hope. Yeah, I think there's some like the Lou Williams player for the Clippers, uh, uh, was uh. I guess they launched an investigation on Lou Williams' activities outside of the bubble because he left oh. the bubble. What? Uh, he he left the bubble, um, and he said it was for family reasons. And very much, I think he attended a funeral when he left the bubble. And then, apparently, he went to uh, Magic City after he left the funeral. And he uh, said that, they were, that he went there for dinner. He, 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 he wanted chicken wings. So he went to Magic City for the wings. Um, and now he's... Quarantined again, um, 
<laughs> so as you know, I, as much as I think the NBA is handling it in a, in a really great way from the standpoint of like dealing with the pandemic and locking everybody down in the bubble, but you still, you know, there's still people that may, uh, ruin that, that party for, uh, the rest of the league. You know, well, we can't like have you nice said, things. yeah, like you said, the Marlins, uh, there was an outbreak, um, in terms of positive tests of COVID-19 with the Marlins. I think the Cardinals news just came out today about the Cardinals having two positive coronavirus tests, so they have to uh, delay games. So I'm interested to see what it is for the MLB and how long they can move forward. And if this continues to happen, maybe they say, yeah, we can't do this. we got to shut it down again. I think the NBA stands a really good chance at being able to be like, nah, we're going to get through the season. It's only eight games, It's and then after that it's the playoffs, You know, whereas the MLB has to play through, I guess, kind of a full season. Um, so I think it's it'll be interesting to watch and see. I don't think that anybody knows any correct answers right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's the important part to realize, not even just about the pandemic and coronavirus, and but also about like these social issues. You know, I think every there are people that have an idea mm-hmm. of like the best way to impact it, but at the end of the day, what I want to see is just people at the table. Like, let's all come to the table and fucking have a conversation with each other. And put aside our biases and just be able to, I, I, like, maybe I'm a fucking, I'm naive and I'm an idealist. Um, and maybe that's true. We got to look at the history of the world and say, has this ever happened in the world? Encyclopedia.com, it has happened hey, before. <laughs> the world is, to some degree, always, I'm not going to say, I was going to say something, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to fuel the flames. Uh, but I think it's. I'm excited. I'm honestly just intrigued at seeing how it all plays out with the NBA and MLB returning to play, especially if it means that the uh, NBA finishes the season out and the Lakers are rightfully crowned champions of the 2019-2020 season. Um, and we continue to bring... Uh, <laughs> and we continue to bring... Um, or they continue to bring uh, attention to uh, police brutality in black communities. So. Uh, I, I, I'm interested in seeing how it plays out. Yeah, I think there, I think there is a correct er way to handle this. I think we do know that there is a right answer to the situation. I don't think that America is ready or can handle the right answer to this. Right, which is shutting it down, take care of your people, make sure they're safe, and then get back to it. You know, um, I don't think the U.S. is because of the people that run the country and the companies that run this country, I don't think they're ready for that because they're, this is the time they're about to make the most money. You know what I mean? You're going to let your foot Not off the gas? Not even the left. Not even the left. <laughs> not even the left, man. I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but a lot of your favorite, uh, not yours, but like a lot of people's, the left's favorite um, politicians to prop up also voted against the cut a, a cut uh, for the military industrial complex in favor of uh, social uh, systems and housing um, in uh, marginalized communities. I'm not going to get too deep into that, but that did happen. Um, And people should look into it because as much as the left loves to point the finger at the right for not supporting marginalized communities in this country, the democratic left also does the same at time. Um, so, yeah, we should look start looking at that. that a little bit more. We should start posting the votes. 
who did this person vote for? Yeah. Who did that person vote for? You know, just start like, we okay, could. let's be real on what is actually let's happening. Let's be real about what these people support and what the and who they're supporting and yeah, uh, what props this uh, government up and these uh, both the DNC and the uh, Republican Party as well. So it's fuck them both. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I feel the same way. Uh, interesting thing happened this week. To me, you know, as everybody knows, I'm like, I'm back at work. Um, had a situation yesterday in which uh, received a phone call at work. And this is going to lead into some of the other things that we're going to talk about. It's not just a random story, but I had a phone call at work. Pick up the phone. There's a lady on the other side. And uh, she asked, you know, can I speak to a manager? I said, this is a manager speaking. And she continues to... Uh, to let me know, to inform me of a situation in which they were unhappy with a burger. Um, they were unhappy with the service that they received at the moment in time. I will like to preface this, you know, the restaurant that I help run, we've transitioned from, you know, dining, right? The, the, the dining experience that we all know before of servers coming to the table, taking your order. Um, you know, bringing your food out, checking in on you, closing you out, right? It's not the system we're currently in. We've transitioned away from that to counter service, to best protect our staff, to best protect the guests, right? To minimize the interaction of the guests and the staff in order to best protect everybody involved in that transaction, right? So it's counter service right now. You come to the counter, you put in your order, we bring your food out to you, and that's pretty much the last interaction. You eat, you close out when you... Um, order your food and you know it's all gravy you know this guest you know uh informs me that they were unhappy because nobody came and checked in on their table right that's to me it's like are you not aware of the current situation over the world right and to me it's like man people the world isn't what it was three months ago you know and you know after it, they inform me of like their experience. You know, I apologize and I'm sorry for, you know, uh, you know, the negative experience you had. And they continue to tell me, uh, you know, I wasn't happy with the burger. And I was like, okay, well, um, when was this experience? And they were like, it was about a week ago. And I was like, so you're calling to complain about a burger from a week ago. Um, you know, and some people will, I'm not exactly sure what you want to accomplish by doing so. And I apologize. They, you know, I'm sorry that like this was the situation. You know, um, there's nothing I can do about that burger from a week ago. Um, but you know, I do apologize. And you know, the complaints kept happening, and I was like, well, I'm not exactly sure what you want me to do. You know, because you did eat the burger. Um, and you did leave without notifying anybody of the uh, issue. And, you know, eventually they came around to saying, well, are you not going to offer me like a free meal or refund the burger? And in my head, I'm like, no, like, <laughs> you ate your burger. Like you ate your burger. You waited a week to call back. Like there's I'm not like that transaction happened like i'm like i'm sorry that there were things in it that you were unhappy about um 
but but also like I think it's important to acknowledge right now in this time that the customer is not always right and we have to shift that frame of mind. <laughs> we have to shift that frame of mind especially in the food and beverage industry where it's like we have to do the best right now of protecting ourselves, protecting our employees uh you know if if we need the businesses to be open we have to protect ourselves. We also have to protect the guests. We have to do our best job of protecting the guests. And that means like cutting that interaction time down. Um, but also I think it's to me, what was going through my head in that, that moment is like, man, people have too much time on their hands. <laughs> like people have too much, you have too much time on your hands and it's not even that you have too much time on your hands. It's how are you utilizing the time that you do have? You know, we all have a lot of time on our hands right now. We all have a lot of time because of the situation that we're in. How are you utilizing that time? And just as I like spoke about earlier about like this negativity loop, this was an example to me of like a negativity loop. You had an experience that maybe wasn't uh, what you had hoped for. You know, that is going to happen from time to time as much as we try to prevent it. Um, but, you know, when you try to respond to that negative experience with further negativity, it just creates a negativity loop of like that is hard to break. And I think to use that as an example for the situation we're in as a country within both of our industries um, I sh I'm sure there are angry barbers out there, just like I know there are angry bartenders and servers and uh, people involved in the restaurant industry angry at the current system, right? The, the easy thing to do right now is to, is to be angry about it and to be negative about it and to want to yell at everybody and to take that anger and aggression out on people. Um, you know, that's a little bit of an easy thing to do. The hard thing to do is to be positive. Not to necessarily even be positive, but to try to try to build something up, you know. And the reason why we wanted to, I guess, we want to talk about this story is, you know, you and I both have opinions of what we want to see out of our industries moving forward, you know. And I think both of us have a desire to to build instead of tearing everything down. You know, yes, there are things in this country that need to change, or things in both of our industries that I'm sure we we desire to change, right? But there are two ways of impacting change, right? And I think a lot of people focus on one way, which is tear everything down. It's all evil. It's all fucked up. We got to get rid of everything. And then there's another group, which I think is a minority, which is like, nah, instead of focusing on tearing things down, I got to focus on building something up myself, building something that I can be proud of, building myself up to be, you know, um, able to deal with these things and then building up the people around me to also be able to deal with these things and then building our industry up to be able to withstand the effect that another version of a, a pandemic may have or any situation may have on our industries, right? Um, so I think the, the point of that story is like, y'all, we have a lot of time on our hands. Um, let's focus on building something. Let's focus on building something beautiful to move forward with instead of focusing on trying to tear everything that we're upset about uh, down. Not to say that some of those things don't need to change. Everything needs to shut all the way down. <laughs> I'm just playing. Now, uh, <laughs> one, um, congratulations on for you and your restaurant for, and, your, and your, your, your team 
for having such a remarkable burger that even when it wasn't <laughs> up to par, this lady marinated on that shit for a week, bro. She was just distraught of just like, I cannot believe this burger. <laughs> so congrats on that, man. You have an impactful, impactful staff over there. It's true. Team. Um, for people who are frequent restaurant um, goers or not even frequent, as someone who used to work in the restaurant industry, um, food and beverage, there's ways to approach certain things. Let's work on an example for if you have a problem, maybe in Sam's situation, you could probably go to the counter instead of calling, complaining about how bad your burger was or whatever, how dissatisfied you were. How about you go in there and you say, hey, I really enjoy the burgers here. I'm going to keep coming back all the time. When we're making this one, the last time I kind of had an issue with this. Do you mind if on this one we kind of just focus on this part more? Maybe the temperature of the of the meat, whatever else it might be. I really enjoy coming here. Uh, that was just something that happened last time, but I just want to put it out there. I guarantee you, you're probably going to get a better response and people might focus more on like, oh, dude, yeah, my fault. Because people have pride in their work. They love doing what they do. They want people to be happy and they want you to be happy because you're going to continue to come to their spot. So just work on your um, delivery of what it is you want. Build instead of destroy. Don't say this shit was whack. Say, I love this shit. That's why I'm calling. That's why I'm coming back. I just had a little issue with this part or, you know, whatever else it might be. But let's work on that, people. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> anyway, we could have a whole episode on the food and beverage industry and all the uh, craziness that happens. Um, There was this other, I was like putting my fingers up of what I want to talk about this, what I want to talk about that. And the coffee's kicking it. Um, Damn coffee. Damn coffee. When it comes to our industry... Or, hmm, how can I say this? Let me see. Building and destroying for people. Let's just go for people first. I think we, we do have a lot of time, like you said. Uh, and we have time to get creative. Let's not focus so much on what sucks. Because there are things that suck out there. And you can write down those things that suck. But now, how do you fix it? What do you do to go forward? How do you build from these times? How do we get creative to say... You know, because what I would do when I would have, have to handle things in the restaurant industry of complaints, I used to have to be a table toucher, so I'd touch all the tables, or if there was any issue, people would come to me, and I'd handle those those issues. And ultimately, you want to know what do people want. And sometimes when you ask people what they want, they don't know what they want. Take time to find True. out what you want. Happens all the time. Yeah. So find out what you want. What do you want about your government? What do you want about your city? What do you want in your industry? What do you want in your family? What do you want out of yourself? And then once you know that, start going towards that. Start attacking that and uh, going towards those. Stop focusing on the negative, what you don't have, what does suck. Build. Forget destroying. When it comes to my industry, for barbering, you know, I do see a lot of angry barbers out there. Um, Cosmos as well. And then I know that there's every a lot of people, there's only a handful and probably less than a handful that I know that aren't cutting hair right now, right? These situations are putting them at the brink of just like, you know, doing some prohibition style cuts, sneaking around, doing these things. Um, and the issue isn't that, or it's not, oh man, I want to break the law. It's, yo, I got to provide for my family. I got to do things. I got to continue to pay the rent. So there's a bigger issue happening there. And that's a 
socioeconomic issue, government issue, um, cultural issue in America. But we do have a chance now to make it better. And that's something that I'm kind of pivoting towards on figuring out how do I improve this industry? It's not enough for me to just complain about it. We have to work on things to make it better and not keep it the same, but improve it, uh, advance it. Because like you said, there is going to be another pandemic that happens later on. Um, and there are things that no matter how much I protest on uh, the barber industry, they're still not going to let me go back in. And even if I, they did allow me to go back in, I'm not going to want to go back in if I'm going to also get sick or infect my family or somebody else. So there are things that we need to change. There is definite room for improvement. There's no way around that. And we can't keep being so comfortable on thinking that our shit don't stink. There are things that we can improve. So let's work on that, man. Let's get creative. Please, on Instagram, man, drop some ideas for any industry that you are in that you're like, here's how we can improve. Here's what I'm going to do. If you're a barber, please drop some because I need some help too. So, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you know, a big thing that has been happening with all of this pandemic and, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, especially, you know, for us and within our industries, is you're seeing like we saw the complete shutdown of, of both of our industries, right? And I think within that and dealing with the societal pressures, kind of the lockdown and what that does to your mental, your own mental health, right? I think it's been really difficult for people to understand the need to pivot right now, right? Just like the lady with the burger and me saying the world isn't what it was three months ago, right? That's the case for you know, I think that's just going to be the case moving forward for not just both of our industries, but for the world, right? We're not ever going to go back, in my opinion, we're not ever going to go back to exactly the way it was before. So we need to mm -hmm. figure out how to move forward and how to pivot in whatever it is that you're doing to a place of, you know, to a place of, you know, to a place of evolution we have to evolve right to pivot is to evolve and to adapt you know i think there's a lot of fear in that you know and i think that fear is valid in a lot of ways i think personally you know i've dealt with a lot of self-doubt and, and and imposter syndrome you know and i think that plays a part in, into the the pivot and adapting right because some people are scared to because it, it it's you don't know what's on the other side of that I think a lot of people right now, especially within our industries, are unsure of exactly what it looks like. And there's a fear. But just like I said uh, before today, you know, whatever it is that we want in this world is on the other side of that fear. So, you know, have, have you dealt with that, your own self-doubt, whether it was during this time or even before? And what are ways that you've kind of found to help deal with that? I've dealt with... Um imposter syndrome for a while and that's mostly because i've tried different kind of businesses and and not just businesses but i've just tried going different routes in my life i like trying different things so the way what well, i'll speak on when it came to barbering so when it came to barbering pretty soon after barber school i started working with this guy that i considered a mentor um 
you know, I just we've had the same kind of wavelength when it comes to how we view a barbershop, what we want to do in barbershops. And so uh, I just got really lucky that he happened to be working in Berkeley and I'm over here in, in Alameda, Hayward. And so um, I got really, really fortunate to be put in there. Once I was in there, he was also connected with another guy that I've looked up to in the industry and also very well known in the in the hair industry internationally. Uh, both both of them are. And it was such a trip to me, you know, for, for people that aren't barbers, they're gonna be like, who the hell are these barbers and how is there kind of celebrity-esque barbers and all this other stuff? But it was a trip because I see so many great barbers out there um, and I've never really felt like a great barber or anything. And to now be cutting one day with both of these icons to me was uh, was really crazy. And it kind of, it put me in my head and I was just like, they're going to find out that I'm nobody. They're going to find out that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And what's calmed me down is also listening and talking to them and, and being vulnerable and opening up to them and telling them, I, I'm kind of new. <laughs> I don't really know you know, what's going on or I'm figuring these things out. And, and hearing that they have a similar path or they have similar feelings. And that made me feel better. But what has actually helped me out in the process is removing the ego from myself, trying to. I think ego is is a necessary thing to have in this industry, uh, in life, period. It's a form of self-defense and to boost yourself up when you start feeling low. But um, a bruised ego, it's not the best thing to do, right? But anyway, so what has helped me out in this industry is or in, in every aspect of life and even on the new things that I'm venturing off into now is asking myself, why am I doing it? What am I trying to do in this moment? And when it comes to cutting hair, I'm not trying to be the best blender. I'm not trying to be Vidal Sassoon. I'm not trying to be anything else. Like that. I want to be, and I talked about this on an Instagram post. I want to be your neighborhood barber. I want to be your grandpa's barber. I want to be that barber that, Oh, my granddad used to go to him and then my dad went to him and then now I go to him. That is my goal when I want to be a barber. I want to have that longevity and relationship built in the community. So it takes it away from me and my performance as like, how good am I? How great do I compare? And it puts it more on how am I building this relationship with this person? Do I really know that person that's in my chair? Do I remember the, you know, the wedding that they went to? Do I remember their name? Simple as that, you know what I mean? Do I remember the kind of haircut? Is it really just like the usual? And whenever I start a new venture, whenever I start something else that I want to do, I just have to, once the pressure starts building, once that imposter syndrome starts coming and taking over, I just remind myself like, yo, don't worry about yourself. Worry about what you have to do. Don't worry about where you stand. Don't worry about who's looking at you, who's comparing you, who's this and that, and just focus on the task. If your task is to change the industry, change the industry. You know what I mean? If your task is just to be on time and open the door, be on time and be the best door opener of the shop as possible. So that's what's helped me out. What about you? Uh, no, I hear, I think, you know, I think there are a lot of parallels for me as well. You know, I know you've done a few other things before getting into, you know, barbering. And it was kind of the same case for me. You know, I was, I was a cable guy for like seven years. And, um, you know, I had made it to a point where I was like 
pretty solid within that uh, corporate structure. And there was um, some desire to move into to, of upward mobility and there was some potential for that. But I, I kind of quit with no plan because I knew that I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life ultimately. And one thing I always say about myself is if like, there's nothing stronger than a motivated Sam, right? But there's also, if I'm disinterested in something, I'm not, I'm just not going to want to do it. I don't, I'm not like, if I see no point in doing it, then I'm just not going to do it. I don't like, there's no point in me being here. So I quit with no plan. And I remember, man, I remember cause I, I already had two kids. Uh, I was making good money. I had great benefits and I was in a good situation and everybody was like, yo, you're crazy. Like, you are dumb. You have two kids. What are you doing? Um, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I'm going to figure it out. Right? And, you know, that's kind of when I found my love of hospitality and love of uh, bartending. Not even so much food and beverage and, like, the restaurant industry. I love taking care of people. Right? I love taking care of people. Uh, and I love creating experiences for people. And what I'm getting to with that is like, you know, I definitely had fear. You know, I've had I've self doubt and imposter syndrome is something I've dealt with the whole time, right? Uh, and in different ways, similar to you within this industry, within the industry that I'm in, and it I think it sounds weird to people at times because I think every industry is kind of insular. Like when you're in it, when you're really in it, you like know who the people are, like you know the who's who of of like I think that's the case for any industry um you know and there's definitely like a who's who of bartending there's a who's who of like on the national scene on the international scene when I first got into it and I put in the work to like understand the, the people and who everybody was and the history of this industry and um pre-prohibition to like the modern cocktail renaissance you know there's like a term for um these people and it's like they're called star tenders you know, like the the kind of top of the topper it's kind of a negative there's a negative connotation on that like oh you're a star tender now right um but you know when i first started to get involved in the industry everything was on like a local level dives and like franchise restaurants and then when i started moving into like cocktail bars that had some national acclaim especially because the bay area is one of the the top three most influential markets in the United States from a beverage standpoint. There's a lot of rooted history here, and especially in the San Francisco scene of like bartenders who are very much nationally and internationally known. Like some of the quote unquote best bars in the world, like top 50 bars in the world are in the Bay Area. So, um, you know, when I started to really connect with these people, and my name started to bubble a little bit, there was definitely like this, like, like you said, they're going to find out at some point that I ain't shit, that I, that I got, I don't know shit, that I don't, like, I'm not, that I'm not that, right? Um, And fighting through that, oftentimes for me, is like, similar to what you said, what are you doing it for? You know, one thing I think that, people have respected about me within this industry is just the grind the hustle right and i think in a short amount of time i've done a lot more than a, a lot of people um in the industry in the, in the same time span that i've been in just because of the grind 
like the hustle, like at the end of the day, the thing that drives me and pushes me is like, I know that I have mouths to feed. I know that I have to put food on the table. So to me, like, all right, bro, like I've talked about it before, if I got to work 70, 80, 90, 100 hours, whether it's across, whether it's in one job or across like three different bars, like I'm going to do what I got to do to put food on the table. So I think, you know, that was one of the first things that people really were like, all right, like this kid's about his just work. So more than anything, like whether I could make a drink or not, whether I was good at hospitality or not, it was like, I always knew that I can make up for all of that by just putting in the work, you know? Um, one of the most important parts of, of the process is just showing up. Like in order to get anything done, you at least got to show up. And I was always going to show up. I was always going to be there. I was always going to be ready to grind. Let's grind it out. Even if I didn't know shit. One of the things I always, I always say is like, you're never going to be ready. I think that's even the case with this podcast. You know, as we're on episode six, it's like every week we improve something. Like, you know, we, we find something to improve on, whether it's with the actual podcast or social media or like the things that we want to do. And that's the same way with bartending. It's like, I didn't know shit, but you don't know shit until you know shit. And you're not going to be ready until you get ready. Um, and so I've always tried to just challenge myself of like, I'm not ready for this opportunity. I know I'm not ready. Like I'm telling myself that I'm not ready, but I'm going to fucking get ready. Um, you know, and a lot of that just, I think is meditation and taking care of myself. And, uh, as corny as it may sound to people, a lot of my process was just waking up in the morning, looking at myself in the mirror and telling myself one positive thing or three positive things or five positive things about myself, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, okay, you might not be where you want to be, but these are the things you're good at. You're good at taking care of people. You know, you're good at connecting with people. You're good at just getting the work done. And even if like you take pride in those three things, whatever it is, not necessarily that it has to be those three things, whatever your thing is, take pride in it and tell yourself that every day. You may not be, I may not be the, the, the best cocktail historian. I may not have the best palate, but what I'm good at is what I'm good at. And I know I'm good at connecting with people and taking care of them. So I'm going to take pride in that. And every, as you, as you take pride in those things, you, you add to your game and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch this person and see what they're good at and try to emulate some of that. I'm not trying to be that person, but I'm going to be inspired by the person that's standing next to me and be like, okay, I can get better at that. Let me take some of that. Look at the next person and be like, all right, I'm going to take a little bit of that and try to mix that into what I'm really good at. And then at the end of three months, six months, a year, you look at yourself and you're like, all right, those three things that I said to myself in the mirror every morning a year ago, I can add two things onto that. And then I can add three things onto that and be like, all right, now you've got the best pina colada in the game, dog. You know, um, you're creating like a ladder of a belief system. Yeah, 100 percent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think that's been a lot of my process. Yeah, dude, I think, um, like you said, there's a lot of parallels and for sure similarities with, within your industry and my industry. Um, and, and I mean, honestly, I think that if we talk to another entrepreneur or uh, someone who's, I feel like there's certain types of people in the world. There are in, in every single industry, right? But there's people that are constantly trying to improve themselves and that love doing what they're doing. They love that self-competition. And 
there's also mediocre people in every industry that are just kind of, yeah, you know, I just kind of do it to get by. And when we link up with people in across the industries that have that same type of mentality, I think success leaves a footprint. Excuse me. And that you start seeing the same character traits. But similar to what you were saying, um, you know, I wrote something for myself too when I start feeling self-doubt or worrisome or fearful about whatever it could be, whether it's just in life in general. Um, and I'll just read like the first four lines of what I have. I think, is it four or five? Yeah. But it's just literally is, I can handle the failure if it comes. I can handle the emotions. I can withstand the doubt because I have a strong belief in myself. And those are those things that whenever I'm feeling like, fuck, what am I going to do? I just remind myself, you can handle it. No matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And that's because you have a strong belief system um, in yourself, man. And it's, just, and it's not just belief in self, but it's that ladder of victories that you've stacked up beneath yourself to say like, okay, I did this and then I climbed that and then I've gotten that. And you could just always rely on that. And I call it a ladder system of belief. But um, I read this book and I'll drop like a, a, a list of books that I read this month. But this one by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. And he talks about uh, the cookie jar and reaching into the cookie jar and, and getting one of those victories that you've done and say, all right, you're going to throw this one in there or you're going to pull one out to just kind of keep yourself going. So, yeah, I, it's pretty cool to hear that um, we have a similar process, man. And I appreciate that because it just kind of reassures me. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think like that David David Goggins quote is a is a strong one because to me, you know, I'm my own biggest critic. I'm my own biggest critic, but also like I've had to learn to celebrate my my victories. Like yeah. I'm not. I haven't always been good at it. Like I've been like, all right, like I haven't been always good at taking positive reinforcement and like people celebrating you know something that I've done. I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's like trauma involved. I know there's trauma involved. In it. Um, but you know, I think self-awareness is a big thing too, because as I talk about it, like, I don't want anybody to think like I, that I think like working a 100 hour week is like healthy. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm not saying that like, I, I used to take pride in it. I used to be like, yeah, I'll outwork anybody. I, like it's not where I'm at right now. It's not where I'm at. I know I can do it, but it's not ultimately what I want for my life. I don't want to be fucking working triple digit weeks. Um, but I think self-awareness is a key thing, right? And like, as you're talking about, like there's mediocre, mediocre people in every industry. I can look back on myself as a cable guy and say that I was probably a mediocre cable guy. And it's not because I'm a mediocre person. It's because I didn't love it. It's, yep. I, it's not what I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? So I think what's an, an important thing for everybody is finding something that you really enjoy doing, right? Because then those 100-hour weeks don't seem as long. You know, then you're passionate about what you're doing. And that, again, not to say that you have to do it that way, but even if you're self-aware enough to be like, I just want to work a nine to five for 40 hours a week and then enjoy my family, like, and, and or enjoy something else outside of that. My life doesn't revolve around what I do. I think that's positive too. I think it's positive to just have self-awareness of what it is that you want out of life what it is you want out of the world and what you want to put into it and what you want to get, you know, like ultimately what you want to get out of it. Um, I think those are all important aspects of just getting past self-doubt in order to get past self-doubt. You have to be self-aware, you know? Um, and so I think for anybody that struggles with it, it's, 
just like have the hard conversations with yourself. What do you want out of the world? You know, don't take what society tells you you need to be and try to be that. Just figure out what what you want to do. And it becomes it becomes easier. The journey becomes easier. It's easy to love the journey when you love what you're doing, when you when you love what you're working towards. I can't stress that enough, man, of just kind of soul searching and finding out what makes you happy. Because I see people that are quote unquote successful that make hella money, but they fucking are miserable, man. They hate doing what they're doing. And then I see people um, like myself who is not balling. <laughs> you know what I mean? I haven't worked in five months, but I am the happiest I've been. And uh, it's mostly because I do want to go back to work because I really do enjoy doing what I'm doing, but also because I have those hard conversations with myself of, of what makes you happy. And I continue to ask myself because if cutting hair makes me happy right now, I know that it's probably going to get to a point where, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm done with that. Or I'm done with that in the sense that I don't want that to be my main source of income or what I do for the rest of my life, but I'm, I want to keep on doing it with friends. Um, so it, it's not like, you have to find what do you want to do for the rest of your life, but what wakes you happy right now? What are you willing to invest your time in right now that you feel rejuvenated while you're doing these things? Excuse me. Um, and, and then you have to learn how to pivot, right? When those moments are done, when you're like, I've done my time here. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm not as into it as I used to be now. So I want to move on. Uh, and I hope that people are able to kind of like take this time during the pandemic to really search what they want. Write a book, you know, do whatever. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, this is that time. 100%. I've, I've said it during this time, too. It's like, you know, to me right now is a time when everything changes. And what do you do? You want to be involved in that change? Right. Do you want to be involved in what happens, what the world looks like on the other side of this? What's your world looks like? What's your industry looks like? Right. I think that's an important part when we're talking about pivoting. Um, when I say to pivot and adapt, I think about it in broad terms because it can mean like, yeah, you're pivoting within your industry or you're pivoting and moving your way out. Um, do you have a general view of like, you know, I know you've been working towards some things, but, um, you know, what you think that pivot is like for yourself within your industry or outside of your industry or even the way you think that your industry needs to pivot in general. Yeah, something that I've worked on uh, for myself in the, I guess for myself period, as soon as I saw the uh, pandemic happening, you know, I, I scrambled on what the hell am I going to do, right? Like I, I kind of knew I, we ain't coming back for a minute, right? Just because of the nature of the virus. I was like, we're not going to be coming back for a minute or at least not in a condensed barbershop or anything. So I started working on a, an idea for how do I adapt? I was like, let me get a sprinter van. Let me get a mobile barber shop. You know what I mean? But then I was like, nah, you know, these things come from it. I've seen it happen before. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Cause originally I was like, I should save up money for my own shop. You know, whenever I do get that opportunity. But then I was like, let me change it up for more kind of like on the Uber sense of it. And, uh, so I started working on this patent for this design, or a, not a, well, let's just call it a tool for now, because I can't quite say what it is yet. Uh, but I started working on this patent, and I've been moving forward, and I pivoted on that. So not just hair products, but things for every barber out there that wants to continue to work during this during this pandemic, if possible. 
um, that will benefit both client and barber. Uh, and then for the industry, right now I'm working on unionizing barbers in Alameda County. And uh, I'm literally about to go on a phone call after this thing to kind of make that happen, to change the barber industry from being, well, kind of reverting it from beauty back to health industry where it used to be back before 1745. Um, And that's my plan. I see myself as someone where it's like, take this beyond yourself and your own gain. How do you help others? How do you make, how do you make a change? And not by making an impact of being like, I was a fucking dopest Roz barber out there and blah, blah, blah. But how can I actually affect for the better? And it might not happen, right? Like this shit, the patent that I'm working on, either it might not go through or, you know, I can't actually build it. That might be real. Um, The unionizing of Alameda County barbers and the transition from beauty to health, that shit might not happen. But I don't give a damn. Like, I got to leave saying that I tried it, that I went for it, and if it fails, it fails, but... And you can deal with the failure. I can handle that. 100%. Like, it's important to be able to get to the point for yourself, and this is for anybody, where you can handle the failure. Because to me, I always look at it as like, I'd rather be able to, I'd rather fail than to not try, right? Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather at the end of the day, look back at my journey and say, you know what? I failed at a lot of things, failed at a lot of things, but at least I tried them. And the hope for me, you know, it's not even just hope. It's a belief. Like, I really believe like, yeah, maybe I try 20 things, 50 things, 100 things in my lifetime. And maybe I fail at 99 of them. But there's going to be one that sticks and there's going to be one that makes an impact on my life or other people's lives or my children's lives that leaves me with like this feeling of contentment and satisfaction when I look back on the journey of my life. And that's like the big hope for me, you know, in terms of pivoting within industry and outside of the industry, I kind of went through the same thing when all this hit. And I think a lot of people did like, Oh man, a lot of people within our industries at least or industries that were deeply affected by the pandemic. Um, You know, for me, it was like, yeah, I don't know when these things are, when this is going to come back. So what am I going to do? You know, and I, I looked into a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, luckily for me, I started getting, not even luckily, like, because um, it wasn't luck. I put the work into it of just understanding finances and understanding, you know, how to uh, be financially healthy. Um, and I started putting in that work before all of this hit. And, you know, I've been able to pretty much withstand anything that has come my way during this um, in a very strong way for myself and my family um so i think the important part of that and why i bring that up is it allows your brain to be free when you're not necessarily stressing 100 percent on like where your next meal is coming from or if you're going to have a roof over your head or any of those things then it allows for your mind to think freely about other things that you want to do because you're not bogged down on that moment of like damn it i don't know if i'm going to have a place to sleep this month or next month you know Um, So that's why I bring it up, you know, uh, because I think it's important. I think it's important for people to understand financial wellness um, and to also make sacrifices to like the way you live your life and like your lifestyle. You know, I I mean, uh, you know, do I wish certain circumstances of mine were different? Yeah, but I also accept like this is what it is. This is what it has to be in order for me to be able to live a healthy life that I want to live. But in terms of like pivoting, uh, 
a big part of me right now is like so much of the complaints about the beverage world prior to the pandemic was like it's not diverse enough there aren't enough black and brown or queer voices queer queer voices at the top um providing equitable spaces for uh other people that are you know the same in the industry um and i often say like first and foremost for me like yeah i'm Samoan, i'm mexican but first and foremost for me i i, I care more about just marginalized communities i care about the hood man i care about like making it better for people that come from a similar uh, similar situation as me so so much of my effort has just been like you know what fuck the old guard fuck those fools like i got love for some of them but like i don't need a cosign anymore like the way this world is going right now like because of the digital revolution because of this pandemic currently all right man the, the world is going to reward the person that's hustling the most through it all um and that has been my biggest uh effort is like all right before the pandemic and everything hit you may have needed to work at one of the top 100 bars in the world to get the acclaim of the industry to build your name up you may you may have needed to get written up in one of the many publications or you may have needed to work under someone so they can plug you and put you on as a cosign. But now, nah, bro, everything is direct to consumer because they're like, most bars are closed. So they don't have the same influence uh, that they once had on the beverage world. So everything is like, all right, can you, can you relate to people? Can you go direct to consumer? Because now you're, you're, the brand of your bar doesn't necessarily matter as much. It's a brand that you're building for yourself, right? So to me, it's like, all right, man, what do, what do, what do I know is unique about me within this industry? And when I look at it, you know, in this industry that I'm in, a lot of the West Coast has been represented by white faces, white men. Um, and I'm like, no, you know what I bring to this industry that is different from everybody else in this industry is a real motherfucking West Coast energy. Like, all right, when I look at what the West Coast means to me and what California means to me, and from the cultural standpoint that I grew up in, yeah, bro, it's, you know, Chicano culture, it's lowrider culture, it's, uh, you know, a lot of things that I came up in, images that I came up seeing, whether it's, like, oldies, um, and to me, it's like, you know what, people, there are people on the West Coast that can relate to that, that don't know shit about cocktails, that don't know shit about, like, spirits on, like, a intimate level, and it's like, all right, man, Going straight to the consumer on that. Let me let me build a platform that speaks directly to like people who are like me and where I know there's a, a, a niche clientele that'll be like, yo, man, I really I really fuck with that aesthetic. I fuck with that vibe. And everything, you know, to me is just like putting out that positive energy and putting out like this intention that, you know, at the end of the day, what matters most to me is the people that are sitting in front of me at a bar. And right now there's nobody sitting in front of me. Right. There's nobody that can sit in front of me at this bar. So I have to figure out a different way to reach those people. And for me, the way to reach those people is like, all right. Social media, we're going we're, we're doubling down on it, using it as a tool uh, to build a platform that can ultimately impact. And so that when I came into this, the biggest thing is when I came into this industry, I didn't see faces like mine um, on the national level. I didn't see people like me. I didn't see people that spoke my language, that understood like certain things that I came from. And I'm like, all right. Let me try to create space for that. Let me try to create space so 
for a person that may come from the same background as me to look at it and be like, yo, man, you know, Sam's doing it. Why can't I do it? Sam's, Sam's like, that's a dope aesthetic that speaks to, to me. That speaks to like parts of my soul and my heart. All right, cool. I, I like that. Let me connect with him and try to figure out, you know, a, a, an avenue for me within this. Um, and to me that speaks to not necessarily just within the beverage industry, but you know, a lot of different things, um, in, you know, across industries, but, uh, I ain't going to get too deep into that. yet. Solid dude. That's solid, man. Yeah. You're setting people free by, uh, your success is going to allow people to visualize themselves doing what they want to do, but felt like they couldn't. And that, that's okay. kind of, that, that's what I love about the shop that I'm at at the moment too, is that, you know, um, there's definitely some of those things happening in the hair industry, right? Where, I mean, barbers, African-American community have, have dominated the barber industry in the sense that it's kept it afloat. They've kept the barber industry afloat through the years while there was a downturn in barbers, right? And, you know, just that culture of going to the shop, discussing whatever, um, movies, meet all that, right? That's all been the African-American community. Even the move that I want to create right now um, to help transfer it over was inspired by the African-American community that has done this before. And I'm trying to say, all right, let's keep this going. Let's move it up, especially right now. So, uh, but the shop that I'm at, you know, it's a it's an expensive shop compared to most barbershops. And, you know, it's not a salon. It doesn't have a salon vibe. And the fact that the owner is an immigrant as well, I was just like, hell yeah, bro. You know what I mean? You have amazing branding. Um, you have great focus on service. I mean, that is the number one thing on there. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's helped me out to, to make it feel possible for me to do the same thing, to see myself in the industry without having to be something that I'm not. So I dig it. So shout out to you and, uh, continuing to liberate people by showing your success so that we can all feel possible to do that. No, 100%. I think, you know, you touched, uh, uh, you just said something. I feel like every time you say something like at the end, I'm always like, yep, that's, that's completely it. And it's like, be yourself, man, you know, be self-aware. And once you're self-aware of that and you know what you are, you know who you are, you know what you want out of this world. And you're just comfortable with that. Just move forward, move forward with it. And like, whatever the world brings to you at the end of that, like when you, when you know what you're moving towards is what you is, is like what you deserve you know, um, and what you deserve, um, what I mean when I say what you deserve, it's like, if you're putting out just that genuine self and that genuine energy and that positivity, because you're happy within yourself, like the world is going to bring beautiful things to you. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. and that's not to say that everything's always going to be positive because that's not the way of the world. It's not what I'm saying, but when you are self-aware and you're fully moving forward in your own purpose, like you can see, you can see that even though things aren't perfect, you know, they can be beautiful. There's yeah. there's beauty and imperfection. Um, that's real. And you're going to lose people along the way as you go through your channel of life. And to me, that's the best part about it because you're like, okay, cool. Thank you for moving out of the way as I keep going. At the same time, you're going to start attracting those people that are meant to be in your life because they're, you know, gravitating towards you through that energy that you're creating by finding you. If you're true to yourself, you set other people free. So be true to yourself. 1000. And I think that leads into just kind of, you know, the, the build or destroy mentality. I think that a lot of people that are, you know, focused on destroying 
other things or focus on destroying other people and you may not as if you, if if that's you you may not even see it as destroying you may see it as a, oh i'm calling them out i'm holding them accountable whatever right but when you're worried more about other people more than you are about yourself and like what you're doing for yourself or the people that are closest around you then the effort you're putting into the world or the energy you're putting into the world is is in, inherently negative you know you're 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 focusing instead of focusing inward you're focusing uh, outward in a way that is um that can be toxic not to say that it always is or that we have to view it as that but i think the most important work we can all do is just introspective and is inward and ultimately when we master that we have the ability to build beautiful things a big part of me is always like um is always thinking about what I'm doing for other people, right? And I think we've talked about this before, but like ultimately I can't do better for other people until I've done better for myself, until I've mastered my own self and my own energy. And you know, that's ultimately the effect that I want to have on the world is, is a positive impact, whether it's 10 people or 10,000 people, you know? Um, I can live, I can live, at the end of the day, I can live with myself if I know I've done the best that I can for other people. Um, and the best that I can for myself. That's real. That's and it takes so much pressure off of you, right? You're no longer feeling like I don't know pressure. For me, that's just that's that's just um, <laughs> you just put the focus on somebody else. How do I make that better? And you just work. You just keep your head down and fucking work towards that. Chilling. Yeah, I think another part that I've dealt with, and I come back. You know, Nip is one of my biggest influences in my life. But Nip, Nip said one time, like, you can't put your expectations of me onto me. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be myself. And that's not to say that I'm not going to hold myself accountable and that other people can't hold me accountable and that I have to look at it. But ultimately, like, I'm not in it. I'm not living my life to be what other people want me to be. I have to live my, my life to be what I want to be. You know, and at the same time, when doing that, you can look at other people and say, I may not like what they're doing. I may not like their energy. I may not like something about them, but that's them. And I'm going to leave that alone and allow them to be them. If I think it's negative, and, and then maybe that negativity, negativity ultimately comes to serve them at some point. But that doesn't matter to me because that's not my life. It's not my life and it's not, it has nothing to do with me. The negativity that or whatever I feel that that person may be putting out, that has nothing to do with me. And I have to allow that to be whatever it is and to take whatever journey it's going to take in the world because I'm, I'm, I'm happy with myself. I'm doing the things that I know I need to do for myself and I'll leave the rest alone. You can do what you want to do. And I can accept that as being in the world and not give it my energy. That's one of the hardest things that it, it to, to do right for people to recognize that I, I feel that people because I, I used to be like that too, where I would, you know, super self-conscious and being self-conscious is other people conscious, right? And I used to kind of internalize like, oh, is this person acting out? What the fuck did I do? What did I do? How did I do this? How did I fuck that up? And then as soon as I just decided like, hey, man, if they feel a certain way about me because of whatever reason, that has nothing really to do with me. Maybe if I've acted negatively, yeah. But or if they're just having a bad day, that's on them. I'm going to keep on doing me positively 
do my job and uh <laughs> it honestly just like we were talking about before it just takes the pressure off you don't put any toxic energy in there if you feed into it because you're worried about it you're just going to create a continued uh cycle of negativity that negativity loop you're talking about step away from that shit and just fucking focus on positivity for yourself and for others not selfishly but you know for others and just 100%. making yourself happy yeah at the end of the day i know that lady complaining about her burger had to do with her and had yeah, nothing to do with me for sure had nothing to do with like anything that i've done you know that's that's just the situation i can accept it for what it was I hope I can give you a wonderful burger the next time. Um, mm -hmm. But if I can, I can't. It's all great. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that earlier today uh, of of just that. Like, take accountability for the fact. Um, hmm. How do I tie this in? Well, so I'll tie it in like this. Last episode, I, I fucked up <laughs> tongue-tied. And I said uh, that I, I was during my younger years when I was having my Yoho issues, right? When I myself was uh, subscribing to the Yoho mentality. <laughs> um, I accidentally said that I had, you know, I talked about the issues that I had with the daughter of my mom. And I meant to say the mother of my daughter. And so I was thinking about t today. I was like, do I correct that? Do I not? Do I let it go? Whatever. But I was reminding myself that for Anybody that's going through those relationship issues, um, even if you are right, even if the other person did do something wrong, right? It's how you approach the situation, how you handle that situation. So let's say, for example, there was something wrong with that burger. It's not, it's not the burger necessarily on how you handle that. That there's something within you. Maybe that lady felt like she had been taken advantage of way too many times in her life by different things. And she's like, I'm finally putting my foot down. I don't have to go there. I can just call. And I, you know what I mean? There was something else. Maybe that burger triggered it. And maybe when it comes to relationships, there's something that that person has actually done to you that hurts you. But it's about how you handle this situation. Because you may be right, but as soon as you handle it wrong, Brother, you are wrong. So I've had to learn that. I'm still doing that. I'm still trying to practice that. And yeah, I was just trying to tie that in. It's all in practice, man. Just like uh, my boy AI said, practice. No, nah, I'm just playing. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> another thing, all my all my little one-liners all the time. I, uh, just like I say, you know, you're never ready until you get ready. And you're talking about practice. I always tell people, man, you don't get good at you don't get good at shooting free throws by not shooting free throws. You gotta practice the things that you want to be good at. You gotta practice being the person that you want to be every day in life. You know, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. But if if you know where you want to be and you know what you want to be, then you have to put the energy into trying to be that, into trying to master that. Um, and there are plenty of ways that you can do that, but ultimately. The most important part is just understanding what it is and putting in the effort to get there. I think this is a great point to to wrap it up at. If you have nothing else to, uh, no, I'm good. To chop it up about, man, I'm I'm super happy we we got to talk about that. You know, I know it's something that's been on our hearts and minds uh, for a little while to just talk to you, to you all about our own journey and our own um, you know paths within our industries, but just also you know in society and in the world because we both 
done other things before we were in the industries that we're in now. And I'm sure, you know, knowing, knowing you and knowing myself, you know, that this isn't also isn't the end of our own roads. And I'm sure, you know, there'll be more pivoting and adapting, uh, as you move forward throughout life. And so, you know, I think the important part to understand about that all is that it is important to pivot. It's important to understand that you can pivot away from things or into things. And, um, as long as you're self-aware, then you know what you're doing is the best thing for you. Um, and that it doesn't necessarily matter what other people are doing and the other shit that other people put out to, into the world. As long as you're doing all the things that you possibly possibly can to make a positive impact on yourself, the important people around you, uh, your community, and whatever it is that you want to positively impact, that's the best place to be in life. Um, and that's ultimately the the power that all all of us hold. Yep. So with that being said, <laughs> thank y'all for listening. Uh, also, please, you know, continue to uh, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and YouTube. Click that subscribe button. Click the like button. Follow us on Instagram at Just F and Go Podcast. And we will check y'all out next week, man. Mm-hmm.